Notably, however, at least 40 captured U.S. airmen successfully resisted all attempts by the Chinese to coerce such confessions. These prisoners endured mistreatment identical to that endured by the men who confessed, and yet they resisted every form of persuasion, from mock executions to threats of non-repatriation. Air Force Captain Theodore Harris's extraordinary ordeal demonstrates the Chinese captors' capacity for brutality in their quest for more confessions. On the night of July 2, 1952, Harris bailed out of a damaged B-29 near Sinanju, suffering severe burns on much of his exposed skin in the process. Captured at dawn, the severely wounded pilot received no medical attention, but was instead subjected to a week of interrogation by the local Chinese commander. Fortunately for Harris, the stench of his gangrenous wounds finally drove his interrogators from the room, and he received a three-week respite in a Korean hut where his wounds healed. He was subsequently transferred to an interrogation center where he spent several months shackled in a small, thatch-covered trench, enduring cold, filth, sleep deprivation, miserable food, isolation, and constant questioning. As the weather grew colder, Harris contracted frostbite on his hands and feet. After a mock firing squad failed to evoke a confession, Harris was shipped to Mukden, China, where he endured more interrogations and, later, a lengthy trial on charges of alleged war crimes. During the trial, guards repeatedly held the uncooperative American in a poorly ventilated box and beat on the lid until the prisoner's ears rang. The container was so cramped that his confinement temporarily paralyzed his limbs. The Chinese eventually transferred Harris to a larger, more comfortable prison and informed him that his trial had ended. Several weeks later, officials told Harris the war was over and offered to release him if he would write that he had been treated well. On a blank sheet, Harris jotted and signed a brief statement. In my 14 months of confinement, I have received more education than I have had in the previous 29 years of my life. This satisfied the Chinese, and Harris rode a train south toward repatriation. The communists, however, had one more trick up their sleeve. At Kaesong, Harris's captors forced him and his fellow B-29 crew members in front of another court, photographed them, and read a statement declaring their innocence, adding that the Americans had admitted that other Air Force units had conducted biological warfare in Manchuria. That's a goddamn lie, barked Harris, who then refused repatriation until the falsehood was struck from the court verdict. After several hours, Chinese soldiers finally wrestled Harris into a cargo truck, where they sat on him until the truck arrived at Freedom Village to transfer him back to the U.N. That evening, Captain Harris became the last American POW repatriated during Operation Big Switch. Prisoners in the permanent camps found other ways to resist the germ warfare propaganda. Although the Chinese bombarded U.N. prisoners with proof of these war crimes, the cynical captives gave them no credence. Their prison guards, however, accepted germ warfare propaganda as gospel, giving the prisoners an opening for their own form of mental torment. At Camp 4, American sergeants inspired panic among the guard force by secretly painting 
U.S. Mark 7 on the backs of several insects, then leaving them in the prison yard. Officers at Camp 2 rigged a dead rat with a miniature parachute and hung it from a tree branch. The camp commandant responded by ordering all the guards and prisoners to be disinfected with iodine. On another occasion, UN bombers dropped radar scattering chaff onto the camp, and the Chinese ordered the prisoners to gather the germ warfare evidence with tweezers. Several alarmed their captors by gathering the aluminum strips and chewing them.